Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. This week on The West Walk, shattered cities and widespread evidence of war crimes. As Russia prepares to go on the offensive again in a war where thousands of civilians are paying the price with 21,000 dead in Mariupol alone. I think it's absolutely right that more and more people be talking uh, and using the word genocide uh, in terms of what uh, Russia is doing. An extended interview with retired General Romeo Dallaire on the war in Ukraine and remembering the Rwandan genocide. And on this Easter Sunday morning, we speak with a prominent Ukrainian-Canadian who is raising money for Ukrainian defenders fighting for their country. Singer-songwriter Chantal Kravyazik on hope and help for the Ukrainian homeland. It's Sunday, April 17th, and this is the West Block. Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson. Thank you for joining us today. We are now more than 50 days into the war in Ukraine. NATO is weighing its options as Russia threatens nuclear escalation and plans heavy attacks on eastern Ukraine. <laughs> the sound of a mother's heartbreak, echoed by many across Ukraine. Arina Kovostenko buried her son Alexei in her garden, the only place she could. Elsewhere, bodies of civilians are removed from shelled buildings. A solemn silence can hang over survivors in Ukrainian towns like Bucha. These are the horrors of Russia's invasion, of war crimes, in what President Biden has called a genocide. Bodies found lying in the streets, sometimes with their hands bound, others dumped into mass graves. Ukrainians are receiving weapons shipments from around the world, but are alone on the ground fighting. The images of war crimes and human rights abuses are all too familiar for General Romeo Dallaire, who can't help but be reminded of what he witnessed in the Rwandan genocide nearly 30 years ago. Joining me now is retired Lieutenant General and former Canadian Senator, the Honorable Romeo Dallaire. He was also the UN Force Commander of the mission in Rwanda. General Dallaire, thank you for joining us. I know this is a very difficult time of year for you, and it's, it's a difficult subject matter. But as we were discussing just before the show started, something so important for us to talk about. As you watch these images coming out of Ukraine, what are your thoughts, sir? It's far more, <clears throat> I think, emotions of, and, and um, rage comes to the top of the list. Um, and uh, the second element is the, uh, the emotion of being part of a society uh, that has its self-interest uh, first, uh, far before uh, the protection of civilians to which particularly Canada uh, launched the uh, 2005 responsibility to protect concept of uh, protecting civilians. What do you think when you hear Western leaders like the Prime Minister in Canada or President Biden in the United States talking about genocide, uh, but still unwilling to act militarily? They say it's simply 
too dangerous. Russia is a nuclear power. Vladimir Putin is unpredictable. It could set off a nuclear exchange. You're a former general, and you understand these kinds of horrific human rights abuses. What do you think Canada and NATO should be doing? Well, I think that we've got to take it in two phases, if you don't mind. Phase one is the day that the Russians crossed the, the eastern border of Ukraine was the day that NATO should have crossed the western border to reinforce the Ukrainians and to call uh, Putin's bluff on in regards to the use of tactical nuclear weapons, because now every Tom, Dick and Harry and too many of them have nuclear weapons can use that as an excuse to actually become aggressors in, in many other countries and massive abusers. The second part of that is now that we're so that far down the road and we're into urban warfare, which requires hundreds of thousands of troops to be able either to take cities or to retake cities or protect cities. Uh, we're in a terrible scenario of, of seeing a injured, uh, bloodied Putin uh, who can become quite uh, erratic, if not even irresponsible. And the initial proof of that is what happened, of course, north of Kiev. Now, the question about genocide, genocide escalates people's interests, of course. Uh, of course, with it comes an enormous responsibility uh, that the international community signed up, that if there is a genocide, we all have a responsibility to stop it, to stop it, which means to engage in stopping it, not watching it and not letting it trit you know, hundreds of thousands like I witnessed in Rwanda with nobody coming, but in fact, to stop it. In the, cur in the current scenario, I don't see yet uh, that we could call it a genocide, meaning that it is a deliberate uh, government pro uh, uh, decision to actually eliminate the Ukrainians uh, in a genocidal context. Massive abuses of human rights so far, yes. Uh, and so that is why we need those international human rights uh, inspectors to be on the ground and start uh, conclusive uh, work in regards to whether or not this is truly a genocide. You're a former three-leaf, as we say in Canada, three-star in the United States general. Uh, a lot of folks are really taken by how badly Vladimir Putin seems to have underestimated the Ukrainian resistance. What do you think happened there? I, I think that the, the, the enormous ego of that man uh, has not uh, only underestimated, but probably imposed his will on, on his advisors also, uh, because they are not that naive. They're not stupid. They're not, they're not sort of uh, amateurs at this sort of circumstance, and they've been burnt before, like in Afghanistan. So there must have been people uh, who were prepared to indicate to him that this would not be a cakewalk. Now, let's go and see how they've used this type of operation in the past. If you remember in 56 in Budapest, they went in with tanks. Uh, they killed 15,000, mostly students, with their tanks. But it, they took over cities with tanks. Uh, they did the same thing in Czechoslovakia, 68. They rolled in with tanks, overwhelming force, and, and ultimately broke the spirit of the uh, uh, revolutionary 
uh, anti-communist uh, groupings. He might have actually thought that this would work again uh, and that the Ukrainians uh, would, would break. Uh, and that is why uh, when you look at his initial deployments, you see that he had dispersed his forces so much. If you want to take a city like Kiev and you expect a fight, you would have poured everything you had into taking that capital. And once that's in your hand, then you can expand from there. He didn't do it. So he simply was reading, you know, something that we accuse generals of. Uh, he was fighting the last war and not the current one. You, of course, were there in Rwanda when unspeakable acts of violence against civilians unfolded in the genocide. When you look at what's happening now and you look at what's happening in other parts of the world, because certainly Ukraine is not the only place where we are seeing violence against civilians, do you think the West has learned from what happened in Rwanda? Well, the West has learned absolutely nothing. It, it introduced a, a, a near revolutionary uh, uh, process in the UN uh, with the establishment of the responsibility to protect. And my work at the Montreal Institute of Genocide Studies, we produced a, a, a book that said, how do you operationalize that? What is the will to intervene? Uh, what, what triggers that? And what the international community and the developed world in particular has discovered is that it doesn't want to take risks. There is no statesmanship as such who do take risks and do it with humility, but also with conviction. Uh, and thirdly, uh, we do not want to take casualties on something that we are not fully convinced that it is uh, a true security problem for us. Uh, and in so doing, by holding uh, NATO back, its members holding it NATO back, it is, and I think will be held accountable uh, in an ethical framework of the international community for having not intervened and simply watching, yeah, throwing ammunition and equipment and so on to the Ukrainians, but watching Ukrainians fight for their life. And ultimately, if they, not only the price they're paying now, but if they should lose the casualties, the hidden casualties in the hands of the extreme Russian sort of uh, powers will be worse. We've seen that already in the Eastern provinces that were already taken over. It, it will be catastrophic for the Ukrainian people for years to come. General Dallaire, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. Thank you. And it's a damn shame. As many as 150 members of the Canadian Armed Forces are set to fly to Poland to help with the care, coordination and resettlement of Ukrainian refugees there. Defence Minister Anita Anand says they will provide general support, spiritual services and some basic medical care, in part assisted by Ukrainian-speaking Canadian troops. The minister joins me now. Nice to see you, Minister Anand. Thanks for joining us today. 
I know your government is also looking at options of how else to help the Ukrainians fight, especially in the next three weeks, which are expected to be pretty critical. Vladimir Putin reportedly giving direction to his generals to get results by May 9th. That is victory day in Russia. He needs to have some kind of a win by then. Um, I'm told by military sources that your government is looking at potentially sending armored vehicles from Canada's supply, including coyotes, uh, potentially labs, maybe even tanks to Ukraine. Can you give us a status update on what you're looking at in regards to those particular vehicles? I'd like to back up and just indicate that in Budget 2022, our government committed $500 million for military aid to Ukraine. And we are therefore, in addition to CAF inventory, looking at procurements from suppliers of military equipment and aid. We are also coordinating with our allies in terms of pooling resources for the efficient delivery of aid. And so in terms of your question, I have nothing to announce at this time, but I will say that we are taking an all-hands-on-deck approach to ensure that we are responding effectively to the items that Minister Resnikov, my counterpart in Ukraine, has indicated Ukraine needed. And that's exactly what we did in terms of the purchase of cameras for drones. Ukraine asked us to provide cameras. We make them in Canada, and we were able to turn around a contract very quickly and get those cameras over to Ukraine. This is the type of efficient and effective procurements that we are looking at, Mercedes, and I will come back with more information when I'm able. I know that uh, I don't need to tell you Canada's procurement system is, is deeply challenged and has been for a number of governments. It has great difficulty in moving money quickly. Are you confident that you are able to actually get equipment to Ukraine in a timely manner, considering we're expecting this offensive to pick up in coming days and weeks? I am confident, Mercedes. Uh, my Deputy Minister Bill Matthews and I were at PSPC together and we procured millions of vaccines for Canadians and in fact allowed Canada to be leading the world in vaccine procurement and administration. Now we are working very seriously and steadily with our teams on the procurement of military equipment for Ukraine and we will continue to work very steadily. And in terms of your comment that our procurement system is broken, I do not agree with that comment. If you look at, for example, the Arctic offshore patrol ships, we have a procurement for six of those. Three of them have been built, two are in the water, one has circumnavigated the North American contract. We are in the fine continent. We are in the final stages of the procurement of 88 fighter jets uh, for Canada. These are the types of efforts that we will continue to deliver for Canadians, and we will work to make procurement more efficient. But we have to recognize the work that is already happening and the results that are already being delivered as well. We have very limited time, so I, I want to keep going, but I, I've yet to speak to a single defense expert in the country who thinks the procurement system works successfully and the F-35 is taking over a decade to procure those. But when it comes to President uh, Vladimir Putin, he is now threatening nuclear escalation if Finland and Sweden join NATO, which they have indicated they intend to. Uh, there have been absolute atrocities committed against civilians in Ukraine. Some leaders are questioning whether or not Vladimir Putin should be able to stay on in his position as the Russian president. What are Canada's thoughts on that? When you mention the atrocities, you're exactly right. These are unbelievable, horrific crimes. And whether there is the use of chemical weapons, 
or nuclear weapons. We have to acknowledge what is occurring on the ground right now in Ukraine. The definition of genocide includes the intent to wipe out a nation in whole or in part. And I believe that there is strong arguments to be made that this is indeed a genocide. That is what we have to remember going forward in terms of the efforts that we need to continue to make as NATO countries towards assisting Ukraine in ensuring its sovereignty and stability and security and frankly upholding the rules-based international order. So if this is a genocide, how should NATO and Canada be responding? We need to do whatever we can to assist Ukraine. That is why when I was at the Defence Minister's meeting, for example, last month, uh, we as NATO allies were completely unified in the need to continue to supply Ukraine with as much military aid as possible. Canada has already sent six tranches of lethal and non-lethal military aid totaling over $110 million. We have $500 million more million committed in Budget 2022 and Canada will leave no stone unturned to ensure that we are doing whatever we can across humanitarian aid, economic aid and military aid as well as sanctions to ensure that this war results in a win for Ukraine. I know Ukrainian President Zelensky is hoping the West will do even more than that, but we are out of time, so I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again soon. Thank you so much for joining us today, Minister Nand. Thank you so much, Mercedes. Take care. Imagine that someone is taking siege, laying siege to Vancouver. Can you just imagine that for a second? And all these people who are left in such city. And this is exactly the situation that our city of Mariupol is suffering right now. That was Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky delivering his powerful personal appeal to the House of Commons last month, asking Canadians to do more to help his embattled country. One person who has taken up the charge on that is singer-songwriter Chantal Kraviazic. She joins us now. Chantal, so nice to see you. A big fan of your music like so many Canadians. But today we're here to talk about Ukraine and your personal connection there as well as your efforts. I know that this is something that your family has a deep connection to. Can you tell us a little bit about what your work is and, and why this is so meaningful to you? Well, I just got really lucky. A girlfriend of mine uh, in Toronto, she said, do you know my friend George? And she kind of connected me with some people. And it turned out, you know, I'm, I'm Ukrainian Métis, as um, some people know that, you know, most of me is, is Ukrainian. And then there's a part of me that is uh, Indigenous Canadian, very proud to be both. And, um, and it's something that, you know, I always felt like I had to really defend the indigenous part of me and you know it was the underdog part and 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 I was I was really sort of inspired in recent years um and I am but I didn't expect to just have sort of the rug pulled out on this whole issue of being Ukrainian all of a sudden I'm somebody who's very passionate about displaced people um you know I've worked with war child for decades um and uh, supported the programs that they have, you know, helping people who are caught in conflict. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ukrainians are in this situation and it really did just uh, sweep me up, uh, admittedly. 
and thankfully my girlfriend, uh, she, she introduced me to somebody who was a part of the Ukrainian World Congress and they'd started an initiative to defend defenders, uh, to help, to, to help equip the defenders. Um, and for me, it, it, it's amazing because I was so happy in the moment to have something to gravitate to something to feel less helpless. Um, and then, you know, over, over the, the days and weeks since I signed on to, to, to partner with them, it has just been incredible how much the world has revealed, uh, that this is the absolute in my opinion, the, the best way that we can help right now. Obviously, there's amazing help on the ground in Poland and, and people are, are, are showing up for refugees. And, and I get that. It's the, this isn't a phenomenal humanitarian cause. But Ukrainians are not leaving Ukraine or they're not giving up on Ukraine. That is their land. That is their home. They don't have another home. And so they're, they're not going to stop defending it. So the best thing we can do uh, for the people who are operating outside of the army is to provide this non-lethal equipment that helps to save lives. And that's what I've been focused on. And how have your efforts on that been going? Have you found that there's been a strong response from Canadians? Yeah, it's been absolutely phenomenal from, you know, a, a, a fan or someone in my audience that, you know, sees my posts and sees my pleas, you know, going to the office, going, you know, there's a girlfriend fan of mine um, named Anna, who, you know, she's gone, you know, she's a professor and she goes to the university and she, she rallies people and she's raised, I think now into the thousands of dollars because, you know, I mean, if you think about it, you can literally label that $2,500 will fund an entire kit of helmet, night vision, goggles, boots, um, and a bulletproof vest, um, and some medical, you know, emergency medical supplies. Uh, and, and if you think about it, the, you know, just 900 to $1,500 would, would take care of the vest, maybe, you know, depending on where the vest comes from and so on. And so it's meaningful work that people can kind of, you know, get behind understanding exactly where every dollar is going. I mean, even the president of Norway, who had just gotten off a call with Russia, I was listening to him speaking and, and he said the best way to help right now is, is helping the defenders. So obviously I cannot control you, we cannot control what governments are going to do. People are, you know, oil reliant. They're not sanctioning Russia enough, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. I, I would love to see the Putin government dismantled. I'd love to see this over. You know, Ukraine still has to live in the neighborhood when this is done, if it's you know going to end. But for now, it's kind of this little golden rule applies. We can only control ourselves, right? I can't control other people. And what I can do is I can get equipment to the defenders and I can help save lives that way. And that's that's pretty, pretty powerful. Chantal Kraviazic, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. And we'll be checking in with you again soon. Thank you so much. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back here next Sunday. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block.